know if it's just the series we're in or uh, what it is, but I just like to say how extremely thankful I am. Um, it's wonderful songs, sort of led us beautifully here. Thank you, Josh, Connor, all the people kind of allowing sound tech stuff to happen. So our uh, gospel passage this morning comes from John uh, 6, verse 35, and then continuing verses 41 through 51. So the Jews, oh, excuse me, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that came down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he would live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is the gospel of our Lord. Um, so these past three weeks, we've been going through a, uh, just curious, is that, okay, it is up there. We've been going through a, a series here called Living Gratefully. And we've been looking specifically at the sixth chapter of John's gospel. The question that's being presented to us here, so to speak, or is in the background is what is happening? Or what is Christ doing when week after week we come up to this table? Jesus' earliest disciples felt this unquenchable thankfulness as they came to receive what Jesus offers here, what he has promised to us. We talked about that very first week. Is this going? Is this up? Maybe not. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, I had it for a minute. Oh, wait. No, now I do. Aha. No. Well, you've done You've moved it for me. Wait. Let me see if I can. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, no. I thought, who knows. It's all right. I left it. It's a short number of slides, so I may be able to. Now I have it. Okay, now I have it. That very first week that I was up here, I spoke a little bit that at that time, of course, the, the, the language that was kind of common right around Jesus was Greek, and Eucharisteo was the verb for I give thanks, which is where the word Eucharist came from. The table was seen as this moment of the greatest thanksgiving where we thank God not just for all the things that God has done, but for the supreme act of life and of salvation. It points to the fact that to be a truly grateful people, this is what we're after as Christ's followers. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of spending time with someone who has and has nurtured that very close relationship to God, who radiates from them this 
ever-present gratitude. And it just is sort of poured out into joy, love, and peace around them. If you've ever been around a person like that, your response might be like mine. It's just really irritating, right? (laughs) If you have, then you know that God is good for the promise that he makes in this table. And if God has called you here this morning, and indeed if you are here, God has called you, then Christ is seeking to make you into exactly that kind of person. So I hope you'll continue with us for these final three weeks as we pray that this time the Spirit of the Lord continues to do that work in you. Oh, there we go. Sorry, we usually have something going there, and it's not. Um, We began that first week. John 6 opens with the feeding of the 5,000. And what I used was that image of Folsom Lake, that in the driest and the most barren areas of our life, where you could call them the hungriest areas, God's sure and steadfast provision provides for us. If we're willing to offer up our insufficiency, what I called all our nothing, Christ will take that and with his own life, he'll break it and bless it and make it multiplied to be more than enough for what we need in the moment and for the journey ahead. Then last week, last week, as we progress now into Christ's teaching after the feeding, after the sign of the fishes and the loaves, we got a chance to see that what God did there is more than just this one-off or once-in-a-lifetime event. The fear that can so easily wrap around us will convince us that while God provided for us in the past, maybe God won't come through this next time. I was reminded of the words from Psalm 78:20, which is of Israel in the wilderness, and it says, true, God provided for us water from the rock, right? This is after imagining Israel, after God is, they were needing water in the desert, in the wilderness, God provided it. But the second half of that verse, but can God provide bread or meat for his people in the wilderness? Which I can't tell you how many times I've been in that same place, in fact, on Friday, <laughs> I was having a conversation with Pastor Jeff that was exactly in line with that. I'm sure he wanted to just hit me upside the head. God had provided to me, which he pointed out in the past, sufficient to me, and I was worried about something that was upcoming. Can God provide bread and meat in the wilderness? We indeed have to make those decisions all the time and are trying to use guidance, but God's sufficiency will always provide in our insufficiency. Pastor Jeff pointed out, I love this sort of imagery here, that in the same way that at least since the fall or since Genesis 3, fruit, and many of us were kind of in that season, right? It bears once a year, and sometimes just for a few days. But Jesus takes that image of fruit which is here today and gone tomorrow. The grass is the field, and he instead provides us an image of bread. Something that we can take from the harvest, but can be with us year-round as a staple. And in the very same way, he's making a promise that the tears, the sorrow of our lives, that he'll take our sickness, our blindness, our foolishness, our sin, and working with the toil and sweat, in the same way we make bread, so he'll take our easily perishable bodies and make them up into everlasting life in him. Now, as we continue this lesson on communion, Jesus has addressed our emptiness, he's addressed our fears, 
and he seeks to remove the next obstacle to deepening our faith. Ignorance of knowing what the truth is. Because knowing the one who is truth changes our mindset and it changes the way that we, we work through making decisions in our lives. So kind of set us up here for the final two weeks in John 6. You know, many of us, we make decisions intuitively throughout the course of our lives based on what we know about who we are, based on what I know about who all of you are, and the world around me. For instance, three and a half years ago, when I received the invitation to come up to Cordova Church of the Nazarene to be the associate pastor, I made a decision to accept or decline that invitation based on where I was at the time banning, what I was doing, who I was doing it with, and what I understood the situation up here to be. Now, if I didn't know the truth of the situation up here, let's just say that everybody up here hated people from Southern California, or this church was a crazy cult, or I didn't have a place to live, then trying to make that decision becomes much more difficult. Or discerning it becomes kind of impossible. It's more just flipping a coin at that point. Knowledge of the truth is critical. This is called the narrow gate here. This is sort of the image. But knowledge of the truth is critical in every decision that we can think of. Whether it's, can we afford to purchase this house? Will our kids get a good education at this school? Is this neighborhood going to be friendly to our family? Will this career, will I receive dignity and respect in this career, and will it be able to provide what I need? Will this medical treatment, will we be able to weigh the, the risks and the benefits of it? I was thinking of um, speaking with, um, man, why is... Uh, Andrew Murakami, who was just talking about his dad, and um, his dad recently went to the hospital, was having a, a minor stroke, and he was talking about his mom, they come out, at that time, Steve wasn't, Pastor Steve wasn't speaking, talking all that much, and so they go out to Betty and they say, here's the deal, we have this medication, and one of two things will happen if we give it to your husband, to Pastor Steve, either it's going to help him and it's going to relieve the blood clot or whatever's going on in his brain. And so the, the circumstances of what happened to the stroke will be a lot less severe. Or, right, you guys can finish this right for me, any of you who have had these sort of medical procedures. Or it's going to make it a lot worse and could potentially kill him. Will you give us your consent to use this medication? Right? In that moment, you have a decision that you're facing. Maybe even whether or not this church is the sort of place that can nurture a vibrant faith in its members. All of these things can only be decided when you have as much knowledge of the truth as possible. And when I'm, of course, faced with these sorts of major decisions, I can oftentimes feel like I see good and bad in both or all of the outcomes or all of the possibilities there, that there's Absolutely no clear-cut answer. I mean, you guys should just come and watch me at a supermarket when there's 40 different kinds of refried beans, just trying to make that choice. I feel a kind of decision paralysis. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul's words that we only ever see in part or through a glass darkly. Especially for the bigger ones, if you're at all like me, sometimes you feel like, I just want some sort of divine message. 
to help me make this decision. Whether it's a voicemail, an email, a hieroglyphic message, I mean, I'll take what I can get. It's often what we pray for, at least if we're not telling God what God needs to do. And, of course, it's right here in John 6 why Jesus came. Jesus being the very bread from heaven that fills us and fulfills us in every way possible is ultimately somehow what we're searching for in every decision. If We know what we're looking for. He is God's letter, his email, his message. But even better because he is a person, our Lord, our brother, redeemer, and friend. But if it's that simple, then why hasn't the world already seen and known it? And why don't my decisions always feel so clear-cut and easy? Well, as for the world, Jesus says in John's gospel, it's in the darkness. And as for me, well, I live in the world. If you've ever been in a dark room, you know how difficult it is to see the truth of what's around you. A coat rack can look like an intruder. And all that clutter that's left on the floor looks like an open pathway for you to trip and stumble over as you're trying to make your way wherever. Me, it's probably to the bathroom in the middle of the night, you know. Jesus is the truth. He is the true bread that came down from heaven. But when I see that truth, having lived so much in the darkness, I'm nearly blinded by it. I shrink back away from it. Like the crowds, when Jesus says, I am the bread that came down from heaven, I grumble. Why? Why do the crowds and I have this response? Because you hear in this passage that Jesus isn't just saying that it's his teaching or his wisdom or even his power that's the gift of true life. Rather, he the very man Jesus, the son of Joseph and Mary, the carpenter from Nazareth, the itinerant preacher, he is the bread of life. They grumbled might be one of those great biblical understatements. Jesus, being just like us, had constantly to make decisions in his life. But his decisions throw some contrast to my own. When Jesus decided where he was going to live, he didn't choose the perfected realm of heaven or a pristine and gated community. He instead chose the dirty manger, the den of sinners and undesirables, the condemned hilltop. When Jesus decided what he was going to do with his life, rather than looking at salary figures or a happiness index or some kind of work-life balance, he chose to pour himself out, sacrifice everything that he had, to many who would never be able to thank him or compensate him or even recognize what he was doing for them. When he made decisions about his health and well-being, he simply received and prayed that the Father's will would be done in him and through him. When he chose a place to worship, rather than looking at effective communication, worship leaders, worship attendants, he chose a place full of hypocrisy, the demon possessed in the heart of heart. And finally, when choosing who he would spend time with, he didn't look to those who were widely admired or judged excellent, but he called friends and family those who betrayed, who abandoned, and who denied ever knowing him. 
When you think of this passage, why the crowds grumble and why I would, you can see it's all there. If Jesus himself is the bread of heaven, the life of eternity, then to partake of him is to gain the very mindset that he had. The crowds don't grumble here because the truth is too impossible or too complicated. It's quite the opposite. It's because it's too simple. I mean, it's got to be too simple. Receiving Jesus as the bread of life is the truth that I am not and never have been the center of the world. That it's not about me, but more about God and his love for the world. If that's the truth, of course, ignorance begins to look a lot more attractive. You know, when I'm following the wisdom of the world, When I'm following the wisdom of the world, decisions become extremely complicated. Why? Because I have to weigh what I do always through the lens of this personal benefit or based on what I'm going to get out of it. In contrast to the simplicity of this table that we'll come to in a moment, where Christ gives all of himself here and in unity, we come and each receive exactly the measure of his life that he gives to us. The world would have us see our lives more like a buffet table, where the only concern that I have is getting to the food that I want before you eat it all. (laughs) Can you see the difference there? Whether I'm making a decision about where I live or what career I should have or who to spend time with, it ends up being all about me. In that case, the extreme difficulty of making decisions is endlessly weighing and comparing. Which one is really going to give me the most happiness? Which one is really going to benefit me the greatest? And when I'm competing with everybody else in the world to maximize that, my personal benefit, even if it's something abstract, not a material thing, but just peace of mind or rest or sleep, I don't know, happiness, I'm not able to make a good decision, even if my life depended on it. But what Jesus wants to reveal to us here in this passage is that if I'm able to receive him as the bread of life in this moment at this table, rather than trying to seize those things for myself, like with the fruit in the garden in Genesis 3, God will give me all those things. If, like his son in humility and patience, I live and know the deepest truth that God is here, that he has given us everything in his son and that his love is never going to fail us, decisions become much more easy, even if they're opposite to the way the world would have me make them. That is the scandal of Jesus, the bread of life. When you start making these decisions through Christ, the true bread, And like he did, surrendering everything up to the Father, pouring yourself into those places, those peoples, those situations that don't deserve it. The focus shifts from what I'm losing to what God and his people are gaining now and eternally. And that always seems to be growing and overflowing. When you live like Christ, these decisions are simple, not because he gives you the magic eye, to see the option that's going to benefit me the greatest, but because he gives me the gift of his mindset, which shows me that the real decisions, the weightier decisions in my life, the ones that will impact and transform me the most are really the question, 
whom or what can I pour myself into? And how will I be able to serve those around me? Not just someday, but today. And the answer is almost always already clear and present before us. If we're willing to see it, just as Christ himself is present in the faces of others around us in need. As unworthy as I am, and this place is, Christ, the true bread of life, the Savior of the world, the Lord of heaven and earth, is here with us now, giving himself through his sufferings and through his sacrifice. Because of his great love for us, even me, a momentary being of dust and earth, he comes to us as we are and like we are, so that we might know and decide to follow him on our way back to our heavenly Father. Does this make the world grumble? Do I even find myself grumbling in moments? Yes. Following that kind of selflessness, that kind of wholehearted compassion, I mean, who actually lives that way? And the deeper question that I have is, would it ultimately be fulfilling and a powerful witness to God or just be a foolish notion, letting everybody else use me in the end for their benefit while not getting my own? Of course, it's Christ and his life his death, his resurrection, and his provision here that dispels that doubt and frees me from that ignorance. To the one that does abide in him and eats and drinks at this table so that we might become like him, Jesus promises a life beyond what this world could ever offer us. I want to pray now as we prepare ourselves for the gift of this table, but also invite you next week as Pastor Jeff kind of will drill down a little bit more taking what I've kind of offered here um, and allowing to see how that mindset lives out as we um, share in life at Cordova Church of the Nazarene. So shall we pray together? Lord God, thankful this morning for the gift of your son Jesus, the true bread of life, the one who has come down into the world who reveals to us what your eternal life looks like, who invites us to partake of him, that we might become like him in all of our thoughts, in all of our deeds, in all of our decisions. Allow us, Lord, with clarity to see the kind of decisions that he makes in his life and to which he gave weight, who you would spend time with, who you would announce the day, the moment of salvation to. And allow those other decisions, Lord, that you prevent for us, that you present to us, to be done in the simplicity that he does, receiving what you give and then offering it back. Come to this table now, Lord. Inspire in our hearts thankfulness and joy. Pray this all in your son's name.